you're an artist and you're not willing to share yourself with people, then what are you doing really? What are you giving them? Why are you holding back? Why don't you think that they deserve all of you? You are now listening to Via Crayons, the podcast. Extraordinary conversations with Trinidad and Tobago's creative thinkers and makers. We'll delve into their processes, their struggles, and what drives them to execute continually as creative individuals. I'm your host, Dano McNichol. Enjoy. This podcast is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. Please review and rate the show by going to podchaser.com slash the podcast. You can help support the show by buying us a coffee or two at buymeacoffee.com slash wearecrayons. And this is We Are Crayons, the podcast. Thank you for joining us again. And today I'm speaking with jazz vocalist and entrepreneur. Vonette Bigfoot. Vonette, good evening. How are good you? Good evening. Good evening. I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you so much for the invitation to be in this space, man. Awesome. No problem at all. I wouldn't say an avid fan, but I've, I've heard your stuff and I dig it. So I thought it was very important to have someone of your elk <laughs> share share her story. I take that. I take that. I'm 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 just fine. You don't have to be an avid fan. I'm fine with the fact that you dig dig what I do. It's that's quite fine. Happy <laughs> awesome. So let's get started, Bonnet. Can you tell us what was your childhood like, and how did that influence who you are as an adult today? I was born. I was raised and I still live at 47 years old. I still live in library. I tell people there's something really special about that space for me, that place for me. It is. It represents home. It represents a kind of groundedness. It represents community. It represents love. It represents, um, um, I don't know, it's, it's, I, I just can't put it into words and I guess maybe Maybe people have to be from this space to understand. But I was born and raised in the Point Door Scheme in Library. I am the first of my mother's six children. However, I was raised by my grandparents. I went to my grandmother's home soon after I was born. And then my mother subsequently got married to someone else other than my father and left. But when she left, she left me with my grandparents. So I was raised like the last of my grandparents' children in a house with, of course, two grandparents. And my grandparents had eight children of their own. So I'm like the last of the last. So there are many people right in library who believe that I'm the last Bigfoot. Not that I'm the grandchild. They believe that I'm my... So they think my grandparents are my parents. So sometimes I all this. <laughs> I just forget that I have parents <laughs> because of how the whole setting was. However, my parents were always around. Um, my, grand, my father lived a street away and I've always had a very close relationship with my father. Both, both father and mother, but more so my father. So I grew up in a household of love, and communication and everybody in everybody's business and limited space, (laughs) (laughs) but connection to family that still exists up till this day. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Up till this day, I absolutely love my family and they reciprocate those feelings. We are very close. We're very close knit unit. If one is, if one feels something, we all feel it, you know, and in this community, where the community itself was like an extended family. So the neighbors next door, I tell people, I don't know what it is like to, to, to eat off the food cooked in my house on Christmas day. I don't know because the neighbors, we, we used to be exchanging food over the fence and them kind of thing, which happens up till this day. If I wow, go to my grandfather's nice. house and I'm looking for something to eat and I like what they cook there, I call over the fence. Hey, wait until you eat there. Or I go next door and I eat it. So it's that kind of sense of family and community 
my grandparents were Christian, somewhat strict. I don't want to say totally strict because when I hear some stories about strict parenting, I just thank God for the grandparents I had. <laughs> I was allowed to do many things. I wasn't allowed mm-hmm. to do many things, but I was also allowed to do many things, especially the things that were art related. I was always into drama, into music, into Best Village, you know, any stuff, stuff like that in the community, I was always allowed to do. And I mean, when I think about it in retrospect, it's kind of really crazy because the kind of hours and stuff that I would come home after school from a drama class and whatnot. If I were, if I were at home and I asked my grandfather to go out to do something else, I wouldn't be allowed to go. But there was this sort of leeway that was given to me. And I guess it, it's because they realized that I absolutely loved it and they thought that it would benefit me in some way. I would say that I was allowed to be. My grandfather was always a stickler for making sure you as long as the schoolwork didn't suffer, of course, you know, to, uh, to allow me to, to blossom as, a, as an artist or to, to experiment. Because I tell people my first um, stage experience, I was seven years old at Naprima Bowl. And I think my, the space, my family, my community allowed or nurtured to some extent my love for the arts, you know. Wow, that's powerful in the sense that you had that grounding and that support from young and sure that propelled you in ways that you probably don't even understand fully yet. I didn't understand at the time. I understand now how thankful I am to them for allowing me, even though when it was time for me to go into music, he still was kind of, well, I don't know if I want that for you, really. They loved the fact that you were an artist, but of course, it would have never been his, my grandfather, when I say his, his first choice for me as a career, because he was also very scared of it, uh, what it could do, the fact that I'm on the road all the time, the fact that I'm taken away from my family, you know, but he still, he still, I guess, maybe <laughs> thought I wouldn't take it seriously enough. <laughs> so, yeah, and so and, and, and how do, do they it. feel about it now that, that you've grown and uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you something, and and this is, this is something that it's it's a story that I don't know if I've ever given before, but when I de- when I decided to pursue music professionally, I was already married. I kind of started the professional route very late. There was this need for me to, as I say, I just wanted to kind of approach it the correct way. I wanted to do all the training where I thought I should be trained, and a lot of it. I, I didn't find here, so I wanted to spend some time abroad. And my grandfather was adamant that that is not something I should do, of course, because hey, I'm a husband, get away from it. Why you leaving your husband and go to the water, study music, for, because I wanted to go away for a year to study. And uh, he wasn't for the idea at all. But after my grandmother's death, my grandfather remarried, and his second wife died. And he asked me, to sing for the funeral, which I absolutely detest doing. I don't like singing in funerals at all, but I did because she was like a grandmother to me. And I was sitting next to him in the funeral. I went up and I sang. And when I came back down after singing, he held on to my hand and he said to me, Fournette, I will never ever discourage you from doing this. He said, you have a gift. And I've never heard a hmm. dissenting word from him since then about the music. Never. Never. I mean, he'll complain ever so often if he has seen me for a couple of days, but about the music specifically, he said, I will never, ever tell you anything negative about it. And since then, it's been full throttle with him in terms of support. <laughs> so I, I, I think he's proud too. That is wonderful, boy. That is wonderful. I can't complain yeah. about that at all. It really moved me that day because all, all before that I had been going just because, and, and I didn't want to leave because I, I live to make my grandfather happy. He's alive still. He's 96. And be, I, I feel like I owe him so much, um, you know, and I so uh, when he is unhappy, I'm very unhappy. So I was, as much as I had made the decision to go, it was very heavy because I knew he wasn't happy about it. So there was a release with that statement that, that came with that statement that really, And how was your time away? Did you get what you were seeking with that education and and how did it help you improve? It was so strange because I was becoming more at home because I was was also working. I had a full-time job. I was working at Petrotrin in health and safety. So I actually had to apply for 
uh, one year off without pay. But it was something that I felt I had to do because I was becoming so restless. You know, it was like, okay, I know I have this gift. I was becoming so restless in, with the need to do more or to see more. I just felt like I needed, absolutely needed to go. Of course, that release also came from the guy that I'm married to, who is wonderful, who has always just been ready and willing to say, hey, go, <laughs> do it, go. This is what you want to do, do it, you know. So he was telling me to go on my grandfather. was telling me, no, no, go. Uh, you know, <laughs> but he has always been, hey, that's what you want to do? Go ahead. Because he also knew that I wouldn't be any good to myself in a, in a, in a depressed, sad state yes. if I felt unfulfilled somewhat, you know. So I went and I had been going prior to taking the year off. I had been going consistently for about three years before. So I would take my vacations or six weeks or whatever. And I would go and try to immerse myself in the music, you know, go to all these clubs in New York and just try to see if I fit in, if this is something that I really wanted to do, try to meet some musicians, try to emulate musicians, try to study with some musicians. I had been going and when I took that year off, I actually went and I enrolled in school. I knew that I could not ever afford to do a degree at Berkeley because, Mr. Man, I'm still trying mm-hmm. to pay off right. for the one to my stay at Berkeley. <laughs> I'm still mm-hmm. trying to pay off for that year mm-hmm. that I spent, you know. But the structure of school really helped me. Just getting up, going to classes, understanding that it's a lot more than just having a voice, musicianship harmony, air training, learning to write my own charts, understanding the role of the band leader, and all of these things really, really helped me. Apart from that, when that term was over, what happened? Because I was 36 years old, so I was one of the more mature students. So the connections I made were a lot more faculty than um, college students, because these people are 18 and 19 and 20, and they have a different, right. I mean, the gap right. was wide between us, you understand? But I, I, the, the friends that I made were more the faculty, because of course, we were closer in age. And those are the connections that I'm thankful for. Some wonderful, wonderful musicians who are to this day, my friends, the networking that came out of that. So I stayed on for an additional four or five months and I started studying privately with some of them. Dominique Ede from the New England Conservatory, Amstead Christian, and a number of people who I would have never had the opportunity to meet and study and spend time and energy and space with these people. So uh, as much as it cost me, I have never regretted one day making that decision to spend some time. I mean, apart from the brutal Boston weather, I benefited a hell of a lot from that experience. Mm-hmm. It's something that I'll never regret. I totally, I could totally see that. So tell me, why did you choose or how did it come that you chose jazz as your mode of expression as it relates to music? You know, as I said, I was raised by Christian grandparents. A lot of other types of music was not my experience. Calypso and Sokanting didn't really play in our house. Outside of Kitchener, Sparrow, King Austin, Shadow, because Shadow was my grandmother's nephew, right? So Shadow got blind because she nephew. But other than that, I didn't really hear Calypso and Soka on the radio in my grandparents' home. So it wasn't my experience, really hip-hop and stuff. I, I, I didn't know stuff. What I knew was the songbook type stuff. Ella Fitzgerald, Lena, Horn, Sarah, Vaughn, stuff like that would play. And of course, <laughs> I kind of rebelled because in my teens, I, I, I was a heavy, heavy, heavy rocker. Up till this day, I listened to heavy, heavy metal. Um, um, heavy metal <laughs> and that was kind of me rebelling against this and what i used to call old people music in the house all the time man of course the rock stage was also a thing for my grandfather to want to because he keep talking about i hear about this music i hear this music and no good i hear if you play the music backwards <laughs> you know see all kind of funny words and all <laughs> different things but it was just my way of just getting into my space or creating a space for me that I owned, that they didn't relate to. You understand? But surprisingly, when I started to think about music and think about 
what I was most comfortable with or what I felt expressed my personality most. It was the same what I would call old people music or the mature, the mature music that had been going into my system that I was trying to push back from, but it was somewhere there because it is for me the music that I, I loved the most. 16 years into the career, I still tell people that I sing jazz, but I also sing other things. I sing calypso, I sing soca, I sing whatever I want to feel, whatever I want to sing, however I feel. So I'm not so much in the classification of I'm a jazz singer. I tell people I, I communicate via song, whatever I feel to sing, I sing. I do sing jazz when I feel like it. I don't when I don't feel like it. But it's the music, to be honest, that I feel most comfortable with. And it's the music that I, I, I love deep, deep in my soul. I'm getting so much more of an appreciation for Calypso and Soka now because, of course, I have the freedom to listen to it or to listen to the lyrics. So I have a lot more of an appreciation for our music now. When I think about what I think really represented me at the time when I started this, it, it was jazz. How was secondary school for you? Were you also taking part or using your gift for your talents during that period of time? And how did your peers take to that? I lived on the stage during secondary school. I lived on the stage. Theater, Calypso singing, um, school choir. And, and there are many of my, uh, my classmates and even teachers who see me now and said to me, Vonat, we always knew this is where you'd end up. We, we knew, I mean, I, 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 a teacher once told me, she said, <laughs> I said, for a while I told her, I said, Miss, I'm not sure if I should be insulted or not, you know. She said, I knew you were always a bright child. She said, I expected you to end up a lawyer or some kind of thing because you just could not. <laughs> she said, <laughs> she said, she said, no, you just couldn't hush. So I really expected you to end up in law. She said, but when I saw you in this space, I remember that this is who you always were. Because I, I, as I, I lived on the stage. I was I never afraid of the stage. Always comfortable entertaining people. So my classmates tell me that. They say, we always knew you'd end up. We knew you'd end up in this. We, even though we didn't see it after school. Because after school, I took a long break out, out of anything art and creative. Um, I only started back when I was 30. And I left school at, at 18 or something like that. But they said, we always knew that this is where you'd end up because it was just who you are. You know? Can you tell me, Bonnet, <laughs> what does creativity mean to you? For me, it's just an ability to express who you are and to make it into something tangible somewhat. And when I say tangible, I don't mean, of course, you have, you have to be able to touch it, but it's just something that can be seen, heard, experienced, but it's just that process of, of Expressing self, expressing something that is deep, expressing you into something that people that people can see or hear or experience. Seeing that your influence came from things outside of the culture of Trinidad and Tobago, and you said that you are now beginning to experience that more fully or, or, or be more appreciative of it. Can you tell me from your standpoint or from your point of view, what do you think the culture of Trinidad and Tobago is? And how does that impact now the creative work that you do? Why do you? Sometimes I don't know now. As God is my witness. I don't know. There's such a separation in what we as creatives do and how Trinidadians see themselves. And I mean, it for me, it was so apparent during this pandemic period. So when I want to heavy down the interview, but I know I, I, don't, I don't come off from about that. Eh? <laughs> Something as simple as a grant being offered by the government to creatives to kind of help them through this period and seeing the responses from non-creatives we're giving them money for what they need money for they don't save their money right at this and everything and all these negative responses and, and, and i'm thinking to myself wow there's such a disconnect and they don't understand that what we do as creatives is an expression or 
of all that we are as Trinidad and Tobago, all who we are as Trinbagonians, art is just reflective of the society. It's just reflective of who we are as a people. You may not see a direct relationship to what you do. Maybe you might be a doctor, you might be a teacher, and you feel very disconnected from the musician. But the musician who's expressing, the Trinidadian musician who's expressing, is expressing the experience of a Trinbagonian. And a lot of them have had that experience. So I, I'm so confused as to what that dis- how that disconnect occurs and how they can't see that we are just them, in my case, with a voice. We have so many different things happening here too. Of course, we are the land of Calypso and Sokra, but we are the land of so many other things that make up, what is the culture of Trinidad and Tobago? We are the land of so many different things. And I really don't understand this disconnect between non-creatives, the word culture, or the, and, and how they see themselves. Huh. That's a tough question. It could, go, it could go all over the place. It could go all over the place, but... <laughs> let me go on. I don't know. Let me see what else. Because <laughs> I, could, I could talk about it. <laughs> um, I'm always fascinated and, and by that question because it's something that I think about quite a lot. Yeah. Um, only from the standpoint of I feel sometimes that we don't necessarily have one identity and maybe and maybe that's it and and just yeah, from the point yeah. of view as well as how do we instill what i would call i guess the nature of who it is to be trained begonian that's something yeah. that i think about a lot and always curious for me clearly caribbean history isn't isn't doing much to help i don't know so i don't know if there's supposed to be some sort of separate very direct lesson as to this is our country, this is who or what represents us. And let me tell you something, eh? for me, I always believe that the narrative has to be led by a collective, but that collective also has to represent the people who are in authority Mm -hmm. and the people who Mm -hmm. are the decision makers, the decision makers. And sometimes I don't think they fully understand the importance of what we do. So then if they don't fully understand, how are they to put infrastructure, systems, processes in place so that my grandson will understand if they don't fully understand for themselves what or how important the creative is when we talk about the culture of Trinidad and Tobago or or being able to export this beautiful island that we have. So coming out of that then, how does the influence of other people affect you and your work? I'm an artist. I'm a creative. I, I'm a musician. As far as I'm concerned, my mandate is to communicate. I communicate via song. I would absolutely love to be in a headspace where I'm not influenced totally. Or I, I don't want to say I don't care about the external influences, but it just doesn't work that way. We require feedback. For, for me, my, the measurement of my success is based on feedback. Do I communicate with my audience? Do I move them? Is somebody touched by what I do? Is the experience a particular experience to them? So I cannot be one of those artists at all that say, well, I'm creating. You're creating as an expression of yourself, yes. But to what end? I think as all creatives, we are somewhat dependent on the feedback, on how it's received, unless unless you're in a silo and you're just putting out stuff and you don't really need for people to like it. Or, you know, in that case, it doesn't work for me. Now, I'm not saying that. I, I was at a stage in my life where <laughs> I don't want to say I wanted to please everyone, but I wanted to know that people felt good about what I did. And then I realized not all people would feel good because you know what? It's absolutely okay if someone isn't receptive to what you do as a creative. That's fine. People do not have to like what you do. And I have just made a decision that this is who I am. This is how I represent myself. And it's fine that not everyone will like it. What I will spend my time doing is appreciating the ones that do and just live in hope that the ones that don't 
may eventually come around. They don't have to. And that is fine. I tell people that all the time. It's okay because I don't like everybody. It's just certain singers I don't particularly like. I respect artists for the output. I respect their processes. I respect talent. I respect the energy and commitment. I don't have to like it. And it's fine if people don't like it. But I try to focus on the ones that do, the ones who are moved, the ones who I communicate well with. And I just live in hope that the ones who don't like it, they may eventually come around or they may not eventually come around. And that's fine. That's fine. You mentioned a couple of things there. So firstly, what is your creative process like? It differs, you know, because I tell people, apart from being a musician now, I call my, I'm calling myself, and I'm calling myself, you know, because I'm taking all the risk and I'm spending the money. So I'm calling myself a, 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 an entrepreneur as well. And I'm telling you, man, 10 years ago, I would have never thought that this would be me because I tell people I like safe. I like comfort. I like the comfort of a salary. I was working Petrochine and I was happy because I said, you know what? I can work Petrochine because I love my job at Petrochine as well. And I could do my music. You understand? The job at Petrochine also supported a lot of projects and stuff that I would have wanted to do with the music as well. But post Petrochine, I decided that I don't know if I want to work for anyone again. I really don't know if I want to. And I'm still at that stage. I don't know if I want to work. I think I think I want to do my own thing. And I'm telling you, the when I made that decision after weeks and weeks of sleepless nights, because I, I'm I'm a safe girl. I don't like to spend money. And next thing you know, I lost my little bit of money, boy. I afraid that bad. But I have been taking chances and creating events. So the process for creating events and the process for like putting together, because I tell people I'm not yet a songwriter. I would help to curate and arrange the stuff that I do and the events. Well, with the help of a team from cradle to grieve generally would be mine. So it depends on what I'm doing. The ideas come at a very, very weird, oh my gosh, weird, weird time. What I like to do, because I know also that I'm not a risk taker and I'm very much a procrastinator. If I get an idea, I put it out there one time. And as long as I put it out there, I have no choice but to do it. If I don't put it out there, then I find myself saying, all right, I'll go do that next year. I will, uh, no. So as soon as the idea comes, an idea for an event, a, a a type of theme or something. I put it out there. I message my graphic artist sometime three o'clock in the morning and I said, okay, give me this. By morning, he gives it to me and I put it out there. And I put it out there because I have the concept. I see the event in my head. I see what I want the experience to be. I live that experience for a couple hours, a couple of days, from start to finish, from the time I walk in, what I want people to feel, what I want them to see, where I want them to sit, how I want them to interact with each other, where I want the stage to be. I see all of that. And then when I come up with the concept, I'm talking about the end for when the person leaves, then I start to fill in the blanks. So I hire people to fit a particular concept. I don't say, all right, I'm having a show with this one, this one, this one, and then develop the concept. No, the concept and then I pull people that would help to bring that concept to life. So like the idea for the carnival jazz brunch, I battled with that for a long time because I wasn't convinced that people in the height of carnival season, people who want to wine hard will really want to come to a jazz event. That one was that. That one was tough for me. Until I just said, Fournette, you had to just take the chance and see. And man, I stood up at the venue. It was at Lions Club and I looked down at the audience. And I looked down at how they were receiving. And I just said to myself, my God, wow. I just couldn't believe it because it was sleepless, sleepless nights. And asking everybody, oh God, you're going to mind me, boss. You're going to mind me. <laughs> 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 Listen, I could be like that sometimes. Eh? Oh my gosh. I am my own worst enemy, Jesus Lord. I don't need nothing and nobody else in my head. I'm in my head, Vona. Do you think you could sell them tickets, Vona? Do you think you could do that? Were you really trying to do? Why you leave the people in the carnival alone? 
but I've become a lot more of a chance taker in the last couple of years. You know, so the process, the process differs. Really. If you are enjoying this episode, please leave us a review at podchaser.com slash the podcast. You can support the show by buying us a coffee or two at buymeacoffee.com slash crayons. Follow us on Instagram at a big box of crayons. And now back to the show. From that concept you say that it comes to you at weird hours and and whatnot but you talked a little bit about struggle there and and i think if i'm understanding correctly that struggle was more about confidence but do you ever struggle to come up with ideas or is it that you know the muse just visits you and you seize the opportunity you know what so i tell people and i'm very honest in in talking about it, that I battle sometimes with something that I don't like to call depression because, as I tell people, I've never been clinically diagnosed with depression. I've, I've, yeah, a doctor has never said, well, you're going through depression. But I know that there's something that I deal with, something what I call my depression, inverted mm. commas that takes me to a space that is extremely difficult to come out of. And when I'm in that space, I don't think anything good comes out of it. You know, some people say that in them moments, it does create music, nothing. Because even when I'm in that space, even music doesn't work for me. Like how people say they'll put on music. It, that, and that is so strange, I guess, because at some time, at some point in time, music is like work for me. So whereas it's an outlet for others, it's, it's work for me. So when I'm in that space, music does not help. And I struggle with that. I do not deny it. I've found that when I acknowledge, because I tell people it's also physical, it's, it's mental, but it manifests itself in a very, very physical way. So I feel ill. I feel pain. I feel tired, I feel listless, I feel hurt, I feel scared, I feel frightened. All of that, maybe sometimes over some hours, some days, sometimes some weeks. And when I, I am in that space, there's absolutely nothing, no good can come out, can, can come out of, of, of what's going on there. I don't create, I'm not in the headspace to create. I, I don't particularly care about my gift. And I just basically, to be honest, just try to survive, just try to put one foot in front of the mm-hmm. other and just pray that it goes away. Mm-hmm. If I tell you that I can't tell you what I do to make it go away, I'll be lying because I don't know. Different times, it depends maybe on what the trigger is. Sometimes it's silence. Sometimes sometimes it's a persistent call from somebody. Sometimes it's just me just lying on the bed. And it's and I, I've, I've seen myself physically doing sinner. Um, you know, God, just let us go. Just let us go. This needs to go. It just needs to go. It just needs to go. It just needs to go. And sometimes I sleep and when I get up, I feel a tad bit better. And then if I sleep the other night, I get up, I feel a, it's, it's a, may, and maybe it's something I should really have addressed professionally. I have seen, I mean, psychologists and stuff about it to talk about the issues, but I don't know if maybe it's something that I should really address or maybe something that medication can help with. But I find that I manage I managed to get past it. I, I can't tell you what I do if it's something specific, but it's it's a struggle. It is a struggle, yeah. You've been doing this for 16 years, if I heard you correctly. What has helped you persevere and not give up, especially if you're going through you know, that situation that you just described to us? For me, I think it's just purpose, you know. I think, because I think I ran away from it for a very long time. I, I didn't, as I said, I didn't sing. I didn't do anything for about 12, 13 years until one day I was singing in the bathroom. And I think I'm, my husband, which is very sarcastic self at times, <laughs> says, says to me, he said, um, so you intend to take this thing seriously or not? And I know that that was his way of saying, what, what? So you have a gift and you just don't intend to use it. And that was the trigger for me to actually uh, say, all right, okay, 
you know. So apart from the fact that I have him who's he's constantly there, I feel purpose too. Um, you can't run from it for too long. And I feel like I need to sing. I, it's something I need to be doing. So even in the moments where it's not, it doesn't feel good to me when I get out of that space, it's something I want to do. It's something I miss doing. I get a lot of healing too by exchanging that kind of energy as an artist too. Eh? Um, I'm very, very honest with people. I'm very honest. I share myself. I tell people you don't get 75% of me. You're getting all, including my struggles, including the struggles. If I'm not having a good day, I'm telling them, all you are not having a good day because I'm an artist and my expression is just that. I, I can't divorce myself from my situations or from my feelings. I can't do that. So is that you're taking me on my good days, but you're taking me on my bad days too. So apart from the fact that I am encouraged by people, I feel it's fulfillment of purpose too. And I feel I'm not prepared to be accountable for not fulfilling my purpose when I know what it is. I know what it is. And so it's just one foot in front of the other. I, I don't want when, when, whenever I leave this earth to feel like I didn't do what I was supposed to do or what I was destined to do, you know? So it, it keeps me growing of someone. Contrary to struggle and the purpose driving you, is there something that you try to do to put yourself in a creative state of mind? I wouldn't last you say I would drink a caribe. <laughs> <laughs> I love to communicate with, share experiences with, share energies with other artists. I have some that I'm in constant contact with here. I have some abroad. I do master classes. I do workshops. I am in constant contact, more so with people who are always working and i just try to emulate that i just try to people who are always doing different things people who are always representing their brand and their product well people who are consistently creating i try to surround myself or to be in this space as often as possible because it rubs off on me i get I, i'm encouraged by them so there's a, a forum called jazz voice with uh, like hundreds of jazz singers I'm a member of that. Um, International Women in Jazz, all these little organizations and all, and I'm just constantly on the phone or listening to a workshop or listening to a, watching a performance or doing something that other creatives do. And to be honest, it really keeps me on my toes. It's like, come on, Bonnet. You gotta keep moving. You had to keep moving. Look at how beautiful this is. And I'm, and I'm inspired a lot. And I tell people every year, since I, I started doing this, I would, I would go to New York specifically for that, just to spend some time in this space. I'm not necessarily jazz when I'd go to Broadway, check out some of the new things on Broadway. And look, I remember the first time I saw Lion King at the prodding of a friend in, on Broadway. I sat down there, it's almost like they wanted to clean out the place and they nearly had to pick me up with Bruno. <laughs> because after what I was just sitting there and I'm saying to myself, my God, what did I just experience? What was that? It blew my mind, the visuals and the audio and the colors. And, and, and those are the things that inspire me. And, and, and then, of course, you come home and, you, and, <laughs> and then I want to do an event and I want... I want people to be floating through the crowd and all because you get inspired by stuff like that. Yes. You understand? So I try to surround myself with with things like that all the time because you you pull from them and you 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 draw from them and you, and you're inspired to keep moving. You know. You mentioned that your grandfather's words of saying that he's never going to hold you back and you should go for what you believe in has stuck with you and to this day it resonates with you. Has there been any other piece of advice or words of wisdom that you still draw on today? Yeah. When I went to Boston, I met this teacher. He's now deceased. And he paid very particular attention to me and what I was offering. There was this class he particularly had called Fluetry. And it was just this free open class where people could come and express 
you know, sing whatever you want. If it's poetry, he was the guy that basically provided the space for the students to express who they truly were as against the other classes were, that were a lot more structured. And, you know, this is how this is done. I remember after a couple months, he said, Vonette, why do you want to be another black jazz singer? So, I mean, I was kind of taken aback by the question. He says, there are thousands of those in America. He said, what is different about you is that you're not a black American girl. He says, and it's very obvious that you're not. He said, in the way you walk, in the way you talk, in the way you look, it's obvious that that black American experience is not yours. He said, you are a Caribbean woman. He said, why not celebrate that? Now, this is a black American singer is telling me that. He said, why not? He said, that is what is beautiful about you. That's what is unique about you. That's why people are drawn to you because you present to them something that's different. Stop trying to be what you can never be because that was not your experience. And Palos, that was I don't know what to call that now, but that was the beginning of Vonette as far as I'm concerned. It was simply just that. And he was so correct. He was so correct because, I mean, I could do, I could do it. I, I would have never been able to do it as good as them because they were born in that. But I think when I made that decision to appreciate self more, and when I say self, I'm talking about Vonette as the woman, the person from Labre, from Trinidad, from the Caribbean, and to express that in several forms. The hairstyle came out of that as well, too. Because I was there struggling. I mean, I used to wear all the weaves and the extensions and the whatnot, and it was fine, and I'm, I'm fine with that, too. But I never felt like it represented me. I never felt like it represented me. My, my friend Ron Reed, who was also a lecturer at, um, at Berkeley, oh, commented about that too. You know, it's like, is this really you? I mean, who are you? And it took, it took me a while to get to the stage to figure out who I wanted to be or what I wanted to represent, or what, even in the physical, even in the physical. It took me a while to get to that space. But that statement made by my tutor, Armstead Christian is his name, made a hell of an impact because my, I think my entire product changed after that. My song list, my, the way I would design my set, the way I would put my concerts together, the material list, that's when I started really kind of delving into the local songbook and, and pulling out all these old calypsos and old songs that were from this beautiful country that we never hear and just starting to listen to them and keep my ear open for how beautiful a thing we had or we create in this space. And sometimes it, we just don't hear it, we just don't see it. But that piece of advice is to finding oneself and to be comfortable in oneself and expressing who you are and what your experience is. That, for me, that was it. And again, it takes being out of your space and having someone not from your space recognizing that you need to be your space. Mm-hmm. I pondered over that for such a long time. How it's so easy that he was able to recognize. And I tell people I had never communicated better. Or the response that I have had from my audience since then is that it's, it's like chalk and cheese. And it's just simply because I'm owning myself. I'm owning this. I'm, I'm saying this is who I am. And I'm confident and comfortable in this product and this person. And accept the reality of the fact that I'm a Trini woman and celebrating that. And so much good has come from that. And, and that's something I try to tell people all the time, that it's so important to figure out. And, I mean, and it takes us a while. It takes different. The, the, the journey is different. But when you get to that space, it is beyond beautiful because then it's so very easy to decipher. People can tell now that I'm in a comfortable space and that's what they respond to glad that you were able to experience that because now hundreds of other people get to experience on it yes and i tell them they get me a hundred percent too man i telling you 
I go on that stage and I tell them if my eyelash hurt, and I tell them how you put on eyelash rolling last night <laughs> and the eyelash digging out my eye right now and I go and take off the eyelash. <laughs> because I tell people too, apart from the music, because I, I'm very honest to it, yeah. <laughs> I tell people, I have a good voice. That's how I describe my, my, I have a good voice. I have a great personality. I'm funny. All of that is part of my product. My stage presentation, that image, what people see, all of that is part of my product. So it's not just the voice. Oh, well, I come and I sing a song. It's the experience. I, when I'm coming on stage, how I talk to you, how I, sh I share myself, I share my life, I share my experiences, I share my son, I share my energies. And that is what people are drawn to. Not particularly the music in isolation, but the product that people are able to relate to as being a normal woman from library with problems who just stick on eyelash and get glue in the <laughs> eye. And, because people want to relate to you. Mm -hmm. And I simply say to myself, because I'm a fan of many people too, and I just try to say, okay, what would I want from that person? I, if I have, I have somebody that I, I really like and I'm following, what would I want from that person? And I just try to be that for the people who, who come to my stuff, you know? So coming out of that then, Vonette, what would you like to be most remembered for? <laughs> I tell people my heart and all. It really that's real important to me. Yeah, I'm a musician and yeah, I create events, but I really want people to say that I was a good person. That I think makes a part of the product too, but that for me is the most important part of the product. Listen, I have four background vocalists that sing for me. Four. And every last one of them can sing better than me. Everyone. Everyone. That's just how it is. I have a good voice. It's good, but the voice can't be all. I've always believed that. If you're an artist and you're not willing to share yourself with people, then what are you doing? What are you doing really? What are you giving them? Why are you holding back? Why don't you think that they deserve all of you? And a big part of that is my heart. I want people to know, because man, I genuinely love people enough. Mm -hmm. I have my moments when I want to see them too, but all of readers have their moments. <laughs> but I genuinely love people. I genuinely love knowing that something that I'm doing is affecting them in some particular way. So I really want to be remembered for my the person that I was, my heart. I was a generous person. I was kind. I was loving. I was honest. Those are the things that matter most to me or will make me most proud as against, oh, well, you know, she had a great product. She could have sing. Those things, I mean, it's important, but not as important as the rest. And just as we touched on you having a great heart and all of that, from your standpoint, what piece of work are you most proud of? I have one CD, which I'm, I'm really happy, is really a reflection of a thing of beauty. I like the fact that I did this all local production. When I'm thinking work, I'm thinking my events and everything mm -hmm. too. Eh? Of I'm course. thinking everything. That Carnival Jazz brunch for me because it was what stretched me the most. It was the biggest risk that I took. It was me saying, all right, I'm putting it all out here. It's either make or break. And when I was doing it, a lot of people say, girl, you sure you want to do that? You sure? Is the height of carnival? It was like three weeks before carnival or something like that. People, you sure people want to hear that? But I took the chance, especially because I cater for a more mature audience. That's just what it is. Young people, people under 40, hardly come to stuff that I would do because, of course, there's this idea of what jazz, anything jazz related is what people think. Right. <laughs> and in this case, okay, it's fine. Yeah. But it was basically me just trying to curate or put together this space where more mature people could feel included in a celebration. Because a lot of what we do exclude our older folk. And when I say older, I'm included in that because I'm 47. A lot of the things we do around Carnival, we don't really cater for the fact that we have a more mature audience and look for something earlier in the day, less noisy, you know, something where they could sit and be comfortable. So I have decided that that's probably what I'm going to do. Just 
keep creating spaces for us to feel comfortable. So is there an ultimate creative goal for you, Vonnet? And if, can you articulate what that is? I must don't have no ambition. <laughs> Serious or no? Because let me tell you something. As much as I want to be able to play my trade and play my music, I have never felt like I have this need to get huge and to tour and to go to this country and never really, you know. Mm-hmm. I really like my family and I don't really want to be too far from my family. My grandfather's still here. I've never felt like I wanted to be this touring musician and to be up this and to, and to win a Grammy and a, I must be an ambition. <laughs> but, but I am just really comfortable to be able to play my music, create my events, make a little money to survive, to make things comfortable for me, and to just be, be happy and healthy, you know why? I don't really have no big, massive goals outside of that, to, to be honest. <laughs> well, no, well, that's your massive. <laughs> yeah, that's my massive boy. Yeah. I just want to live comfortably. I want to be healthy. I want to live to see my son get married and stuff like that. I don't really have this need to want to be touring on this and sell a million CD. I, maybe I'm a simple girl. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I can't yeah, I have no ambition. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's your upbringing. That's my take on it. I think so too. Think so. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. And I don't have to do a lot to be happy either. I don't have to do a lot. I don't have to do many, many things. I don't have to. I just have to be in a good headspace balance. I don't ever want to be worrying about money. I don't like money worries at all. So where I could be comfortable, pay my bills, somebody gets sick, I can help. Mm-hmm. So You know mm-hmm. that kind of thing? That I say that if I get invited to a Grammys or something, so I wouldn't go. Or if I get an opportunity to tour with somebody that I wouldn't go. It's nothing like that, but I'm saying that there's not this overwhelming need for that to be the next move. No. Nah. Nah. I could. Just before we wrap up, Vonnet, I would like you to share with us where can the audience connect with you, hear some of your stuff. I live on Facebook. When I say I live on Facebook, I live on Facebook. I'm glued to my phone and I live on Facebook and it's my job. The amount of contacts and networking I do on social media. Palos, that's my job. So you can find me on Facebook, on my musician page, Ronald Bigfoot, or on my personal page, Ronald Bigfoot, Instagram as well. I can't do the Twitter. That is just too much. Oh gosh, that is too much. My website, www.vonaldbigfoot.com. Palos, you sure better social media. Facebook, <laughs> I live in there. Three o'clock in the morning, I'm answering you. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, business for me. <laughs> I hear that. Well, Vonette, again, thank you very much for spending the time with us. It was a truly wonderful conversation. I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I enjoyed this. I really did. I really did. I really did. I am Vonette Bigfoot, and in a big box of crayons, I would be Brave Brown. Please share this episode with someone who would find it valuable. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes as they become available. Find additional content on abigboxofcrayons.com. Follow us on Instagram at abigboxofcrayons. We Are Crayons, the podcast, is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. All rights reserved. Until next time, remember, we are all the same in the fact that we'll never be the same. Stay colorful and thank you for listening.